Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as essentially a self-help resource for people who are navigating herpes stigma. If you visit www.spfpp.org, you will also find that there are other support resources to help people with navigating herpes stigma. Today, we are bringing back a previous guest we've had on, Nina. Hello. And we're going to talk about a topic that I don't think has been discussed on something positive for positive people in too much detail, which is grief. Um, Not just grief in a sense of, and if you've listened to the breakthrough, the breakup uh, podcast episode, then you'll know that there's so much more to grief than just someone died, they're not here anymore, this is grief. There's a lot more components to it. You can go and check out that episode um, if you want. But what we're going to talk about today is grief in relation to uh, sexuality, taking from as much of Nina's experience as you're willing to share here today. Um, And uh, yeah, like I think that where we should begin is when did you realize that grief was something prevalent in relation to your sexuality? herpes diagnosis let's let's start there yeah so things are are a little bit more complicated for me because i also have health conditions that affect my sexuality in addition to just herpes um i am someone who does experience chronic pain with sex and uh, that has been the case for me for the past decade um and has had its own journey as well um but i think two parts of the grief experience and and having herpes that we might not discuss is one um the grief of sort of how we used to move through the world as a sexual being right because our the the script has changed a little bit for us and i think that if we're talking about um, hookup culture and dating, um, there is definitely a grief of, of, you know, how we are able to, um, interact with that. Um, and I think there's some body grief in there too. When you say 10 years ago, um, that, 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 is that when your pain started? Yeah, approximately 10 years ago. Yeah. Was there a particular event that occurred? It was not. It was gradual and onset. Ah. Um, it took a lot of figuring out. Um, I don't actually know if I have it all figured out, though I've eliminated a lot of a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a journey, and and that's when it, it first started happening for me, and um, it, it started out gradual and became more and more intense. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, or not the beginning, but when it got to that point 10 years ago, is that when you began to seek out uh, answers? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just sex. It was also, I was a power lifter. It was also when I was lifting very heavy. Um, so those were, those were the two points where my pain started. So I didn't even know you had that part of your life. I didn't know about the power <laughs> lifting. I found out about your previous careers and <laughs> all types of stuff. But, um, okay, so you 
had lifestyle changes mm. throughout since at least uh, finding out about your pain and starting to look for answers. What were some of the beginning changes that you were making? Well, um, you know, I already had a pretty strict lifestyle um, because I was also prior to that experienced chronic pain in other areas of my body. Um, but I, as you know, that started in, you know, that pain started increasing. Um, I really shut down. I really shut down when it came to dating, when it came to sex, like everything, like I, you know, looking back, I feel like I denied myself a lot of experiences. And even now I think I deny myself a lot of experiences. It's almost like, and I was describing this to someone that I was on a date on uh, with a couple of days ago. I was like, you know, you ever feel like you have a pair or like a pair of pants or like an outfit that you want to put on, but it doesn't really fit you well anymore. And you're like, keep it in your closet. And you're like, ah, uh, you know, when I'm feeling, you know, better in my body again, I'll wear that, you know? And, and um, sometimes the best thing that you can do is just let it go and buy a new outfit, you know what I mean? Uh, and move on with your life. So I felt like it was, it was kind of like that, right? Like I was like, you know, when I get better or when I figure this out. And the thing is, is that I've come now into some of my diagnoses and learning more about what is actually going on with me is that, you know, this is actually something I'm going to have to manage and deal with for, you know, the rest of my life. Um, but it was like, I, I, I shut down. I, I was, you know, if we're talking about stages of grief, the first stage is denial, right? Like this isn't actually going to be forever for me. This isn't actually happening to me, you know? And I think we can feel the same thing with a herpes diagnosis. You know, it's like avoidance. While we're talking about the stages of grief, can we go ahead and go through those yeah. and use your experience with your body as like the example that yeah. we have? Like what does denial, anger and the rest of the stages look like? So the stages like in, I'm going to say them in an order, but it doesn't actually always happen in order. Like things aren't linear, but there's, there's grief, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, I think that what mental health does, and you know, I have a master's in mental health counseling. I think that, that one of the pitfalls of, um, traditional Western mental health is that everything is lined up so linear and it really isn't. We're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It, again, like you said, you know, the grief isn't just, you know, getting over someone's passing. Sometimes we have grief with things we have, we live with that we have to deal with, you know, all the time. And not to say that people who are grieving someone who passed isn't always living with that, but, um, particularly like if you have herpes and you get reoccurring outbreaks, you might go through the same thing every time that you have an outbreak. And it felt similar to me. Um, I really stayed in the denial and anger um, stage for a while. And I think that I did a lot of bargaining. And that was really me and the medical model bargaining. Who's going to help me? Who's going to fix this? Where's the answer? Where's that, you know, where's the solution? Um, 
and and I'm really just now after this 10 years coming into a little bit more acceptance. It's and even that's hard. I still find myself going back into denial and anger. Um and I think it's the same way with like, you know, having a herpes diagnosis. So I wound I actually um I arrived at my herpes diagnosis, at least HSV2, genital herpes, uh, maybe about two, two and a half years ago. So that was a whole nother, a whole nother way to start, start that process again. It's like, oh, I had chronic pain with sex and now I have herpes too. Like what a disclosure statement, you know, I have to give at the beginning of all this. Where does hope fall into this? Oh man, hope. That's a really good question. Here's where that's coming from for me, um, because as you mentioned, the denial, you know, who's going to save me? I think that specifically with a herpes diagnosis, I think people hope for a cure so that they can deny, you know, what happened or whatever the emotions are Mm. that came up from their diagnosis Mm, mm -hmm. and they can avoid the anger and the feelings um, and avoid or put off the need for acceptance like uh, that's what I see and and I think about having been positive now for 10 years if I would have just hoped for a cure 10 years ago I'd have looked up 10 years would have gone by and I'd be exactly where I am so to me hope in an instance like this is sort of staggering your own ability to go through the healing process so that's where that's coming from yeah 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 I hear that and yes I know like for same for me like I'm sitting around hoping for a cure for my chronic pain and it doesn't exist (laughs) um and that's one thing that I think that we have to sort of negotiate is what is realistic to be hopeful about why are we hoping for a cure instead of hoping for having a good relationship? And I think that first off, we can we can um, just scratch the cure idea because we're definitely going to get a vaccine before we would ever get a cure. So like, that's not where your hope should lie. And you can hope other people get a vaccine, right? That's a little bit easier, what's lighter. So let's think a little bit about baby steps. What is hope? If you're hoping for some big, giant, you know, like mythical thing, that maybe isn't, I don't want to say productive hope, but maybe that's not where your efforts are best lied. So if we start small, can I hope for a successful date? Can I hope for a confident disclosure? can I hope for, right? What is realistic for us to hope about? What is within our reach? What is within our control? Because a cure for herpes is not within our control. It's absolutely not. What is? And that's our perspective. So if we can shift our perspective and something that's manageable, something that's achievable, you know, something that we can actually touch, we can actually influence. I think that's where hope is more productive. Lately, I've been making an effort to not say I hope and reframe my energy that I put into hoping into believing. I feel like belief is something more 
aligned with what my behaviors are. Like, I believe that I am capable of doing this. Like, if I were to believe I can make a cure myself, it would be because I have some sort of, like, science background, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't mm-hmm. believe that because I don't have that experience, right? Um, what I'm hearing in how we talk about hope and making sure that it's something that we can be responsible for, it really makes me think about a lot of the people that I speak to and anyone who might be newly listening to this, please understand that while from the CDC's website, 87% of people who do have herpes don't know that they have herpes, which leaves 13% of people who do know that they have herpes. Of that 13% of the population that do have herpes, I am from a very small amount of those people. And these are the people who are often looking for resources because they're not in a good place. I don't want people to think that everyone who has herpes is suffering or uh, having the same level of intensity of challenges navigating the stigma. I think that the big difference is that the people who are living their lives with herpes have something bigger that they're focused on than herpes and choose not to give any power to it or it's just not something that they've had to deal with versus the people who might be newly diagnosed, Mm -hmm. newly back entering the dating world, fresh off of a rejection and just having to learn how to navigate this space. So I wanted to preface that with this statement. I think that the people that I speak to most are looking for some type of alleviation from the responsibility of control and Mm -hmm. what i mean by that is that's what hope does Mm -hmm. someone who might have cheated on their significant other tested positive for herpes and now you know regrets that decision may be raising all hell for a cure so that they can alleviate the responsibility of the outcome that came as a result of them cheating but the problem isn't herpes the problem is you cheated and are holding on to this not wanting to tell your partner right i see a lot of that in different Mm. ways so i hope that that lengthy ass explanation kind of paints a picture for what hoping does in the sense of it's not like what are you doing in addition to hoping okay but is that hope or is that avoiding shame are they different i think they are Talk to me. So hope is something you feel good about, right? If you're hoping for, um, you know, a cure so you don't have to, you know, tell your partner you cheated or whatever, right? Which I don't really have have cheating experience. So I don't know if I, I'm speaking to this on a, a level of knowledge in that sense. But like that is avoiding avoidance of shame right? Shame drives so much of our behavior and so much of our culture. We probably talked about this on the last time that I, I, uh, was on the podcast, but shame is, is, is a, we do terrible things on based on shame. We do terrible things based on fear. Hope shouldn't be based necessarily on fear. Is my hope based off of fear or is my hope based off of contentment? Is my hope based off of feeling good? instead of fear can we be driven by and this is not to be taken religiously but can we be driven off of faith and not fear hope is driven off more faith based rather than fear Mm. 
So when we look at hope, faith, we're gearing toward a positive that isn't it's like running towards something versus running from something Mm, is your mm -hmm. hope running away in avoidance or is your hope running towards you know the direction of a desired outcome i think that's a that's probably a good way of putting that yeah uh and it it comes back down to control Mm. when we think about where we do and don't have control in our lives sex tends to be a place where we feel a sense of control and we can either exert that control surrender that control and when we look at having a herpes diagnosis how that now changes our idea of control because now we may not have as much control as we think over our sexual partners we may not be able or over our choice of sexual partners let me reword that we don't have the control that we may have had over oh. so that's very interesting because control is an illusion we don't have control over really anything our environment we don't we have control over maybe our reactions sometimes but sometimes we don't um control is an illusion right control over our bodies right it's people out there looking for that you know take this pill and you know you'll be cured you know what i mean that's it's like i have you don't have control over your body that's the one thing that i i mean one major thing i've learned in my ex- past 10 years is that i don't have control over my body I never will. No one is escaping aging, sickness, and death, whether you have herpes or not. So eventually you're going to lose control. And eventually you're going to lose control of your mind too. Once you start getting older, I mean, and then eventually you'll die. And then that's it, you know? Control is an illusion. And I think it's really interesting in the dynamic of sex because I think that's very much an illusion. Sex is an illusion? No, the idea of control in sex is an illusion. Right. As you speak, Mm -hmm. I think I'm what I should use instead of the word control should be choice. Okay. So if we replace control with choice, we feel like our options are limited and we can't choose like we may have before our diagnosis. Right. Maybe. But the thing is, is you can still choose however you want to choose. It's the it's the other person who may or may not choose. Right. So we don't, I don't think that a lot of us see it that way. It's like, I don't have choice anymore. I want that pretty, sexy person. And that's who I want to have sex with. But they're not going to want to have sex with me because I have herpes. Well, too bad sex is consensual. Now, <laughs> what does that do for choice? What is that? What is that doing for us? I think there's something here that can be useful. When I think about Having received my diagnosis, I can speak from my own experience here. Mm-hmm. Getting my diagnosis, I know that I would be attracted to someone and I would want to engage in some kind of way and express interest. But I would choose to not do that because of feeling like my choice is not. Mm. Like I, I can't because I won't I won't be able to right. get that. I won't be able to get this person. I won't be able to be with this person because they're not gonna wanna be with me because of my because of my herpes status. Right. So I'll take that back to grief. Okay. And consider that the bargaining 
right? Should I choose this person? Should I not choose to disclose this person? Should I make the move? Should I not make the move? You know what I mean? But the thing is, is that nothing actually has changed in that aspect. And are you, is it choice that's changed? It's, 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 I mean, everybody has consent and they have the right to change their mind at any time within the process at any time there. No one is owing anybody anything ever, especially when it comes to sex, right? So there's this, are we choosing our partners? We our partners also have to choose us, right? And that's, I think, where we're talking about we can bring grief back in because if we're talking about hookup culture and all of that, it's like, oh, I don't have as many choices because of, you know, I can't just go out and hook up with someone without disclosing and them having to make an informed decision, right? So there, that's the denial, the anger coming in, right? That's the bargaining, you know what I mean? Like, what are we doing except for maybe making better choices now? and allowing, actually allowing other people to choose us. Whereas before, maybe we weren't as aware of the choice of the other person, Mm. right? Now we actually have to be aware of the other person's choice to meet us there. Yeah. And this is where uh, you said something. uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was about hookup culture. And maybe I did re- say this out loud when we were talking yesterday, actually. Um, it might not have been yesterday. I don't know when it was, but there was a mention about hookup culture and whatever it was made me think about the uh, like how transactional it appears to be and the absence of this practice of vulnerability and really connecting with people. Um, mm. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to express emotion it's hard to put yourself out there for something more than what the general consensus is general consensus right now being hookup culture right so if you're someone who wants a relationship and you want to be monogamous and you want commitment and you want to commit to someone and have them committed to you as well that is a very hard thing to ask for in hookup culture but like that's where the majority of dating it's like I'm, I'm picturing I wish I could like paint pictures very well, but I'm picturing like a sphere that is hookup culture and like a smaller sphere, maybe in a different color of, you know, relationships. Mm. And what do relationships look like? Like, How do you get into a relationship while navigating hookup culture yes. as well? So that's what I think is interesting because guess what? Everybody has a relationship. You and I have a relationship. I have a relationship with the barista that I, who just made my coffee, you know, like I I think that it's really interesting that we use the term relationship in such a, in in such a way, because guess what? Like we're, we have a relationship. You have a relationship to everything around you. Now how you define that relationship might be different, right? Um, I, I remember I dated someone and we were having sex for like nine months and they were like, oh no, we don't have a relationship. I'm like, uh, bro, like we've been fucking for nine months, like pretty sure this is a relationship. It may be a non-monogamous relationship or, you know, a casual relationship, but it's a relationship. And he wasn't able to admit that. And I was like, okay, 
sorry, we're done. And you there's know? that avoidance. And mm. it seems like this avoidance from hookup culture has defined dating and relationships or relationships being what they have been historically mm-hmm. have brought about this offspring that is now dating culture that it, or hookup culture that has expanded into what it is. And I hear a lot of people have issues or struggles dating, like people who've been in a relationship um, uh, now I want to like word it differently. Yeah, no, because people have been in a serious relationship or committed I, I, relationship. Okay, and committed doesn't have to mean. I know, and, and now the more that I think it, everything that I want to say in in reference to relationship is like, well, everybody has a relationship yeah. because that is the case. But we've gotten to a point of like avoiding even the use of the word in its natural context. That's why we feel so lonely. Yeah, we're so far disconnected from people. seeing the connections we have yes so i what i think that we're actually getting at is the intimacy and what is intimacy and so a part of the way relationships tend to happen now and you know i'm i'm queer so mostly what i'm talking about i want to specify is heteronormative dating okay because queer dating is a little bit different and i actually think um there's less herpes stigma um however I think we're talking about intimacy because what a lot of people, well, a lot of what is socially scripted now is that we have sex and then we see if we want a relationship, we want a serious relationship, right? Like a relationship is going to come from us having sex regularly. And that is sort of like a, a misconception because like how many, how many, especially ladies out there have been having sex with you know, someone for quite a long time and then you realize that they don't even consider you this in the same way that you considered them, right? We're not having check-ins about the relationship. We might have check-ins about sex, but are you having check-ins about the relationship? And what is intimacy? And a lot of people mistake, it's, it's a lot easier to consider physical intimacy, intimacy. It's an easier way for us to breach because it's like happening right then and there. And there's a big mistake in like that conception because sex doesn't have to be intimate and often isn't. It can be for one partner and not the other. There is intimacy is 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 more than just sex. You can have sex without intimacy. And you can have intimacy without sex. And you can have intimacy without sex. Exactly. So what is it that you want? Are you having sex because you want intimacy? And is that truly what your partner is experiencing as well are we talking about that not really at least not from you know what i hear and my experiences so what we really crave is intimacy but it feels so foreign for us to get to the point of talking about it right like with this closing, that provides a level of vulnerability and intimacy. You have to have vulnerability to have intimacy. And people are avoiding that vulnerability, right? And we are forced as people who disclose, and I'm saying people who disclose because not everybody who has herpes discloses. As people who disclose, we are breaking that social script of avoiding intimacy. And so then sex becomes intimate already when before it didn't have to be. And that's something that we have to grieve too, is like, we are being forced to change the social script by being people who disclose, right? And that 
is what we're grieving. We're grieving the fact that we don't fit in to that generalized social script that everybody can just go out and do. But the thing is, is social scripts suck. They suck. They limit us. Before we continue further, can we stay where we're at for a minute? Because I think that that's a fucking message. You know, we look at having herpes and disclosure as a burden because we're the ones who have to do this hard thing and initiate for emotional intimacy and disclose this very vulnerable, sometimes re-triggering piece of information and share that with someone and run the risk of them not validating our experience or not meeting us with what it is that we need and potentially making us feel even worse about the situation. But what you just said is that we are literally changing the game when it comes to intimacy because we are, or I'm sorry, we're changing the dating game script in general because we are introducing intimacy prior to sex and if that other person is like uncomfortable with it then you know maybe they're just uncomfortable with it they go on about their business and we don't we we take that as a rejection and it's not often a rejection of us i think that that is a rejection of the intimacy that Mm -hmm. has to come after that this is this is all coming from what you said yeah you said this i thought this so yeah this is like it's an intimacy. It's a rejection of intimacy. Absolutely. And the more emotionally available a person is, I think that that's going to, I want to say increase your chances, but it increases the quality of the relationship significantly because that person may not be willing to avoid they may not have sex with you but they're not going to avoid or invalidate your expression of your emotions for intimacy someone who is emotionally mature available is going to at the very least be able to connect with you in that moment because that's what we're desiring we're desiring some level of connection intimacy Mm -hmm. and that's why we're extending this offer for it if it may not come in the form of sex because sex is one expression of intimacy and connection there are many there are plenty of other ways to connect Mm -hmm. with people and be intimate with one another yeah absolutely and and i think that we're also talking about, we're talking about the the other person, whether they want to meet us for intimacy. But the real question is, are we willing to be intimate? Okay, maybe we weren't ready for that. Now we have herpes and we're disclosing. That's a practice. It's not, you know, if, if you weren't already doing that before, it's not like you're going to be good at it right away. And it's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel awkward and it's going to take practice. Um, Were you ready to be in a place to be that intimate with people before you have sex? Maybe not. Maybe you're not now. Can you get there? Absolutely. If you want to. But you have to see it as a practice. You, you You don't just go out and play pro ball. You know, you got to practice first. And if you do, you might get hurt. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go out in the big leagues without practice. But even if you do practice, you still might get hurt. Yeah. Injury prevention. Um, and 
we can practice this, this intimacy with people who maybe we don't want anything from or who we already have something with. So beginning to see if you can deepen your connection with coworkers, friends, mm-hmm. family members, uh, people who are already in your circle, that cashier that you see at the grocery store all the time, right? Like, I ain't saying shoot your shot with everybody. What I'm saying is p- allow for it to be a practice by extending a little bit of yeah. emotional vulnerability to a person. You can also test your partners or your people who you want to disclose to. Explain yourself. With another intimate detail and see how they take that. Oh, like what? Because I, I, okay, I, I, I have a good think, example. I have right, a good example. Okay. Okay. So an intimate detail for me is my health, right? And so when I went on, I went on a first date a couple of days ago, I'll go back to that. I, I had this really good way of being intimate without just being completely vulnerable I spilled my guts on the table right and it was actually really cute because we like a few of the same shows and um so I would disclose a little bit I'll be like you know I have some health concerns it definitely you know made it means that I have to live a certain lifestyle you know a certain way I eat in a certain way I move through the world a certain way um you know there's other details about that I might share with you but I'm going to save that for season two you know what I mean? Like, okay, so then I got to see how they took the little bit of information that I gave them and processed it and responded to me. And I don't have to, I haven't disclosed to this person. I haven't even disclosed this person about, you know, chronic pain with sex or any of that. But like, I still had a really great date and a really nice time and shared some nice vulnerable details about myself and i do think there's also this urgency that we have with dating like oh i need to know if this is the right person now it's like slow the fuck down and get to know somebody jesus you know if, if, you, if you're dating them, if i don't sleep with them now then they'll lose interest exactly and if if so then that's fine i mean maybe that wasn't the connection for you not everything is for you now if you do want to just go out and have casual sex you can still do that and you know there is that you have to get good at disclosure but you got to practice first you know that's it I think about how hard it is sometimes for people when a person is right there in front of you, you want to do everything right to not have to get go through the process of getting a person right there. How do you know what's right? You don't know what is in their head. You don't know what they're experiencing. There is no right and wrong. There's no way you will ever be able to get it right. People can be together for 10 years and still not get it right. Oh, no, no. I don't mean mean get it right. I mean, like, it's it's there. Like, we will prioritize what's here right now in front of me uh, because it's there, whether it is even ignoring things that are incompatibilities. Let me say that. I've seen mm, this. Yeah, seen ignoring the red flags. A lot of times. Yeah. Where it's like, well, you know, he's here. You know, so what? Uh, he's, you know, expressing alternative political beliefs to me, expressed a religion I'm not into, expressed a kind of sex I'm not into. But he has a dog. <laughs> you know, so there's got to be some good in there somewhere. And this falls back into hope mm. as well. Like, it's hope and not choice. Like, I will choose to you know, hey, I know that these are things that are important to me. So I don't think that this is something that'll work out based on that. But we will tolerate, you know, that person who's here, because it's easier to just put up with whatever red flags. Mm. And that's not even an easy thing to do. Is that hope or fear, though? That's fear. That is fear. That's fear. That's a fear. I'm afraid I'm not going to find anybody else. We got okay. So it is very important here that we differentiate between 
being hopeful and being fearful. And is my action coming from a place of hope or is my action coming from a place of fear? Mm -hmm. So using this scenario, let's say I'm on a date with someone and I just I know it's not going to work out. Right. But that person's here. We spent all this time getting to know each other to this point of where we can get in front of each other. Nobody flaked. I had something else to do, but I canceled those plans. So I'm just going to go through with the day and make the most out of this experience. And I'm still going to try and get I hope that I get the outcome I want, which might just be hooking up and then going on about our business. Right. That person there is no longer seen as that person there. They're seen as a means to an outcome that I would want. So despite, you know, whatever differences and compatibilities, that person there is who I am investing my attention, my energy, my time to and, and money because we're paying for a date, right? I'm giving this person all of these things right here, right now in front of me because they're there rather than allowing, like I probably knew before we even went on a date, right? Rather than just being like, hey, I don't think that this is going to work out because even that's a vulnerable thing to say. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But I'm, here's I'm trying the, to get somewhere. I don't know. I know. I, I know. Where you're, I kind of right. feel like I know where you're trying to go. But the, so, you know, let's reframe that 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 scenario instead of you. You know, you maybe you went through all this effort. You decide it's not going to be a right fit anyway. But maybe you just need practice disclosing, right? And that's all you can hope you, you know, can expect from that. Like, I'm just going to use this as practice, right? I'm going to use this as practice. I'm going to, you know, not everything has to be the thing. Not everything has to have some kind of, you know, end game. Like, mm-hmm. what can we reframe that to? What can I, what can I get out of this? If I know it's not going to really be a fruitful you know, long-term scenario already, is there value in me being here? What is that value? And can I put my hope towards that value? And if there is no value, then, you know, then there's no value. But isn't that coming back down to it just being transactional and what hookup culture is, right? So this is a transactional thing. I want practice disclosing. What is the other person getting out of it too? Everything is transactional. What isn't transactional? Especially in capitalism. What isn't transactional? I'm going to find something. Keep oh, thinking. Man. I was about to say, <laughs> I was gonna say air, but it's like, no, because we, we Then we bring out CO2. Plants. Yeah. Right? right? Plants give us air. I mean, everything is cohesive, right? People, everybody has to get... Any relationship is going to be transactional in some nature. It's not always going to be even. Sometimes one partner has to give 80% and somebody gives 20 and then, you know, later it might be different, you know? That's just sort of how it is mm-hmm. when, you know, what kind of value are we getting out of this? Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying be selfish and not think about the other person and their experience, but I do think, especially when it comes to people pleasing, we want to make things perfect so that this other person has this really great experience and like, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice some of my needs and I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to just hope that they meet me there because I, you know what I mean? Like it's this people pleasing if I, or, and, and I hope that they mirror me back. But is that hope or is that fear? Your people pleasing is often based off out of fear. It's actually manipulation because you're not being your true authentic self. You don't give the other person the opportunity to see the real you and to meet you there. You're doing both yourself and the other person a disservice. 
I, I can't help but think about the, well, we've spoken here about, you know, the outcomes or the, um, the, what the transaction is going back to just, is our behavior coming from a fear and we're responding in avoidance or is this coming from a place of hoping and moving toward Mm. a desired outcome the vulnerability piece go ahead wait go ahead say that okay so i want to like because we're we're kind of you know moving towards the second half i want to talk a little bit about how that that comes into acceptance okay though, right because we're going we're talking about grief and, and we want to the ideal situation is to move towards acceptance right so i would say that that is self-compassion learning how to check in with ourselves and say is this hope or fear is this you know coming from mm-hmm. fear or faith yeah right that is self-compassion and that is a big part of acceptance of moving to a place of acceptance is self-compassion how do i be compassionate to myself right how do i tune into that because that's even a practice you know there isn't uh we aren't taught that we aren't taught that as children um there's no self-compassion uh subject in school even though there should be you know a, a lot of us did not see that from our parents um you know we have to learn that as adults to have self-compassion i mean if you were taught that as a kid good for you and highly jealous <laughs> um but it, it's it's a practice the same that part of being vulnerable engaging with reality as it really is having mindful behaviors what does checking in during a date look like for you is it pausing for a minute taking a breath and going to the bathroom and saying do i really like this person you know like what is it is it after the date sitting down and journaling the things you liked and the things you didn't like or the feelings that you're having after the date or after the disclosure are you writing down how it went and how you felt about it and writing is a good way to just process things. But moving into acceptance is looking at it. And looking at it is sometimes really uncomfortable because we are, especially in capitalism, told not to look at our feelings. Because if we did, we wouldn't work for 40 hours a week and like measly health benefits. You know what I mean? Like we wouldn't do that. It's not beneficial for that to be sold to us. I think about the better we get at doing this for ourselves, the better we can get at doing it alongside someone, which is, I mean, that's what we want. We want that connection. We want that intimacy, Mm -hmm. being able to be self-compassionate, be good enough, not for someone, but with someone. We want to be courageous with someone. We want to have pride with someone and I'm looking at this sheet. Wisdom popped up. And I don't know if being wisdom with someone would have fit or being wise with someone. But I think that it speaks to being able to exchange experiences, perspectives, Mm. to be able to expand our own wisdom and Mm. being able to learn from each other. Let's call it that. Being able to learn from each other. Mm. Uh, But we can only do this if we are able to understand it we are these pioneers of intimacy now like i really love that you put it that way because while yeah on one hand herpes diagnosis is a burden having to initiate that conversation think about when we do and it goes well i think about the messages i get when people are like i had a great disclosure it went so well 
the reason that it went well isn't because the other person said, yes, I'll have sex with you. The reason that it went well was because someone did a hard thing. They were emotionally vulnerable to someone in a time where being emotionally vulnerable is not really always rewarded with reciprocity. Mm-hmm. It's often met with, again, you know, assumptions or someone being shut off or ghosting or someone just being like, nope, no thanks. It's not met with a curiosity or an intimacy. I had someone who disclosed to someone and he had questions and he was like, let me get tested. I want to learn more about this. I'm going to spend more time with you. I'm going to, and then when he got tested, he found out he didn't have it. And he later was like, Hey, you know, you're really amazing. I just don't think that I can go through with this. And all through the process, she let me know that this was a great disclosure because she did it. That was amazing. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that particular situation, because I'm sure people are probably wondering, or if you haven't, I'm going to share anyway. I would have wondered, okay, if he tested positive, then it would have just been like, oh, great, we can do this now. We don't have to be vulnerable here and really assess our compatibilities and everything. But him testing negative, you know, how would it have felt for him to still want to move forward, but still be like, eh, I don't know, right? So right. there's the so win, many, so many reasons someone can reject someone or ghost someone that has nothing to do with her. Exactly. So the win in that is that we were able to again be a pioneer in extending that invitation for someone to emotionally connect with us and having pride in that, right? Having pride in just doing that. And having that sort of like ability to tolerate any emotions that come up afterwards, right? You, we can have mixed emotions. I can be prideful that I that I disclosed and then also feel sad didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's what we are. We're like walking and our bodies are the avatars for the emotions that we feel essentially. Mm-hmm. And while physically naked and uh, rubbing up against each other penetrating being penetrated whatever this is probably the most physically close we can be the depth at which we can be interconnected with someone on an emotional or energetic level is as seemingly infinite as we want for it to be but there's a barrier there there's a barrier of the fear of not just rejection, but also there's a fear of acceptance. You know, what happens if yeah, we do absolutely. connect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if things go well? What if I'm met with reciprocity? Then we go into hoping that it lasts when, you know, nothing, like nothing lasts for eternity, right? Or we can do this out of fear and or we can begin to get scared of like, oh, my God, what if this doesn't last? What if I mess this up? How can I mess this up? I hope I don't mess this up. And it, we can do that. So I think that it's really key here to be present with the experience, you know, know ourselves, what it is that we are extending to people, be able to be self-compassionate with ourselves, be courageous enough to extend people invitations to connect with us at a deeper level than just what the limitations of the body have to Mm, offer. mm -hmm. I also want to just touch on good enough. 
Was that good enough of a disclosure? It doesn't have to be. What's perfect? What's a perfect disclosure? There it doesn't exist, right? What is good enough? And I think that in our, our there's this also social script that we're not allowed to make mistakes, right? We're allowed to make mistakes. And if you're in any relationship, it doesn't matter what the, the you know, committed level is, people are going to make mistakes, you know? Yeah. And what does that look like for you? Do you let yourself mistake make mistakes? Do you let other people make mistakes? We got to be okay with it. And that comes back to shame. When we make we make a mistake, we carry all this shame, right? Or we want to say the other person made the mistake, so I don't have to have the shame. You know? Yeah. Who's to blame? What's even a mistake anyway? It's subjective. I could say or do something and I could think it's not a mistake and you could think it is <laughs> you know and the more we practice trying to connect you know the more we begin to see that there are no mistakes you know we we have experiences that we may label as losses but these are all lessons and then when we have wins we ought to hold space for ourselves to be able to celebrate those and capture mm. that feeling so that we can move toward more of that feeling in the way that it aligns with us. And I want to touch a little bit on body grief here too, yeah. because I am someone who has had sort of like a roller coaster of um, the way my herpes outbreaks have sort of manifested. And I think there are some people that um, maybe be in, might be in the same situation as well. So when I first started, when I first was diagnosed, I had my first outbreak. It was like small, but it lasted like a really fucking long time. And I was like, oh my gosh, if all of my, you know, outbreaks are like this, this is going to suck. Then I didn't have one for like, I, I didn't, I didn't have another one until I had about maybe four or five months later, I had a hysterectomy. And after that hysterectomy, cause that's like major trauma to that area of the body. Um, I had mine, I didn't have mine done laparoscopically. Mine was actually done vaginally. So like there was just a lot of like trauma right to that area. I was getting outbreaks every seven days for probably six to eight months. Every seven days I got an outbreak. It was small, didn't bother me, but it was nonetheless there to remind me, <laughs> you know, every week. And I was like, I cannot believe that this is happening to me. Like, is this ever going to end? And one of the things that we can do to move into acceptance is move into this is how it is right now, right? I am now, um, well, I had my hysterectomy May of 2021. And now I only get outbreaks once every couple months. So it definitely changed, but it changed. It was like, I was getting them every day for, you know, it was like, I always had one for like eight months. It was, it was felt very traumatic and very real. I feel like there's a big difference when you have herpes and you're not having outbreaks to when you have herpes and you are having outbreaks, because when you are, it's like, I'm constantly potentially exposing someone, you know, and there isn't really a break, right? There wasn't a break for me to like, you know, engage, even if I wanted to, you know what I mean? Even though you can actually engage, there are other things you can do and ways to keep yourself safe. But, um, you know, it changes and, and moving into acceptance is this is the way it is right now. And your herpes, the way herpes 
manifests in your body is going to be different. It may take time and it may change, right? Mine wasn't just like worse and got better. It was like, it was fine. And then it got really worse. And then it, you know, kind of started getting fine again. So there is, and there's that illusion of control too, right? I I can't control these outbreaks. I can't control these outbreaks. You know, there is no, it is what it is. I show up. I'm I can deal with whatever arises. I can wholeheartedly accept whatever arises. I'm strong enough. I'm capable enough to accept whatever arises, whether that comes to, you know, you getting outbreaks or disclosing and facing rejection, right? I am here to handle whatever arises and knowing that you are resilient enough to do that right? And giving yourself time and space to process and time and space to grow and change, whether that's physically or mentally. Thank you. So wrapping this up, like, I I don't, I don't know that there's really a wrap up or a call to action necessarily, but bringing this whole thing back to one point it's that you know we're more than people with herpes you know i I really resonate with what you said about us initiating intimacy Mm. and the work that if you're listening to this podcast the work that you've had to do or that you're about to start or that you're in the middle of wherever you are in it Find some kind of peace in knowing that. Find some kind of peace in knowing that you're not disclosing your status. You're extending an invitation for emotional intimacy. You are inviting someone to connect with you at a level that is deeper than the body is able to allow, right? That little little bit of time that you spend, you know, sexually with someone or however you physically share intimacy compared to the depth of a connection when you're in each other's presence away from one another just sharing thoughts or having that person or the people in your mind or being in theirs we initiate that shit (laughs) you know and for the opportunities where we don't initiate it, it is fucking pleasant. It is amazing to have someone offer that to you. And it ain't nothing like it. It's the scariest thing, yet the most rewarding thing all at the same time. And just as we can be afraid of rejection and disappointment, we can also be equally afraid of success and the outcome that we do want. So understand like that same energy between being afraid or being hopeful it's the same it's the same intensity so where we go back into choices we can choose to direct that uh that intensity toward the direction that we want to go in and hopefully we get that outcome hopefully we get that feeling yeah we can also choose to keep our eyes on our own paper And what I mean by that is, what is our mind doing, right? Faith or fear? Is this coming from faith or fear? Do I like this? Do I not like this? You know, like, and those are things that make good sex too, whether you have herpes or not, 
right? Keeping your eyes on your own paper is definitely going to help because you're not disclosing because you necessarily, you know, want to figure out what the other person is feeling. You should be disclosing sometimes to figure out what you're feeling. Um, and, and if this person is someone that you feel good about being, being with and what disclosing is doing for you, not necessarily what disclosing is doing for them, right? Like they have their own paper to keep their eyes on and we can keep our eyes on our own paper too. That's it. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast on whatever listening platform you are on. Please visit www.spfpp.org and check out the new website. Thanks, Jenny. And you can also figure out how to donate if uh, you feel compelled to. Um, Your support helps continue uh, the maintenance and upkeep of what is something positive for positive people working towards continuing to provide these mental health resources and self-help resources for people who are navigating herpes stigma be on the lookout for the 2023 herpes survey it is currently pending irb approval i hope to start distributing that um by in the month of march Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm waiting. We finished the survey before Christmas. We sent it out for approval and they're just really backed up uh, with um, going through the paperwork process. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you all in another episode. Thank you.